So this evening we're veering away from uh, the New Testament and gospel readings that I have typically focused on over the last several weeks from something called the lectionary. And for those of you who don't know what the lectionary is, it's a tool uh, that's made available online for anyone to use. But it has a schedule of different scripture readings from the Old Testament and the New Testament, a psalm and a gospel reading uh, for the week. And I use it as a guide to help me read scripture throughout the week. And it's easy because someone already figured out what I needed to read for me. Uh, and so this evening, we are going to jump to the Old Testament, to a story or a passage from the book of Joshua, which the book of Joshua is not often preached out of, uh, but it is a wonderful um, story of our history. So, as we step in, we are entering into the story after the children of Israel have made it to the promised land. They've made it through the wilderness, and Moses has passed the mantle of leadership to his protege, Joshua. They have crossed the river of Jordan and into the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to them. The walls of Jericho have crumbled, the city was conquered, and now the Israelites have established a new government system. And we are picking up the story toward the very end. Joshua is an old man. Generations have passed. Children have turned into middle-aged adults. The experiences of desert and food insecurity, false gods and commandments of stone are things that, are, that bedtime stories are made of. So we pick up the story with Joshua's final words of wisdom for this new generation of Israelites. So I invite you this evening, as I typically do, to pay attention to where the Holy Spirit is tugging your heart. What is something that it shocks you or causes you to ponder? And after we pray, I'll invite you to respond with those answers. So hear these words now from Joshua chapter 24. And I'm going to begin in verse 14. Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight? He protected us along the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. 
Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statues and ordinances for them at Shechem. Friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, may your Holy Spirit be felt in this moment and in these words. May our ears and our hearts be open to what it is that you have to share with us this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So friends, what um, shocked you or made you ponder and these words, where did the Holy Spirit pull your attention? Feel free to just shout it aloud. Yep. Oh, yes, John. John, and then we'll go to Beth. Thank you. Absolutely. It jumped out to me, too. And I'm glad you, you pointed that out. Thank you. Beth? That was the same for you. I'm, you know, the same spirit is moving among us. Is there anything else that jumped out at you? I think we are all pondering the same question this evening. So there's a phenomenon um, in the religious world that we call a mountaintop experience. It's accumulation of moments or experiences that make us feel as though we are on a spiritual high. It's when everything seems to be making sense or clicking into place about who God is and our experience of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a deep and profound connection. And it often leads us to a moment of recommitting our life to Christ or to making even an initial commitment. I bet many of you can recall moments of being on some sort of mountaintop. I think of the major Christian con concerts that I've been to growing up that all lead to this particular moment uh, in the worship experience. 
or mission trips where we are going and serving and giving our hearts um, to God through physical labor uh, and then we return home. Or just regular spiritual retreats when we are going for some rest and recuperation uh, and peace. The mountaintop experiences are one of the reasons that I deeply love going to church camp at Warren Willis. That is the United Methodist camp for um, the Florida area. And I grew up, and growing up, I went there every summer. Everything, the worship experience, experiences, the activities, the meal times even, and the quiet times that, I don't know if they're still ca called tag time, but time alone with God. Uh, everything seemed to, to lead up to a Thursday night worship experience. It's the last night of camp, and that one moment is the place, they call it Crying Thursday, because all of the children are up at the altar having a deep experience of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like the mountaintop experience. And friends, I believe the people of Israel at this moment were on the mountaintop. They finally had a land to call their own. They were not under the thumb of anyone else's power. They were free for the first time in centuries. And when you're on the mountaintop, it is so easy to say yes, because everything feels good and right. Everything has meaning and a purpose. That's why when Joshua challenged this new generation, choose today whom you will serve, all of the people proclaimed, well, of course we will serve God. Who else is there to serve? It was an easy ask after all that God had done for them up to that point. It felt right. It felt good. And everything would be better from here on out. But I believe we all remember the law of gravity, right? What goes up must come down. As much as we would love to, we cannot stay at that mountaintop forever. We have to go home. We have to go back to normal, everyday life. The people of Israel had to find their new rhythm, a new sense of identity and normalcy in this new place. Slowly, gradually, almost imperceptibly, the mountaintop promises often fade into, remember when? So Joshua pumps the brakes. He asks the people of Israel to pause and to really think about the commitment that they are making. But it's here in Joshua's response where we encounter one of the first places of the Old Testament where the character that describes God is in a way that is unsavory. We noticed that. We were all in agreement that that was a place that didn't sit well with us. So what does this mean? The portrayal of God as jealous and unforgiving 
mean, and vengeful is not one that would inspire total commitment. It's one that makes us all want to run for the hills, does it not? And friends, that is not the experience of God that I know, the God of the whole Bible. In places like these, it's so easy to get stuck on this moment and write off this God of the Old Testament. But by zooming in to focus solely on these words, we miss the overarching description told by the entire scriptural narrative. Though it is all divinely inspired word of God, we can't forget the context that Joshua was speaking to, the people who he was speaking to, and the way that Joshua grew up making meaning of the world around him. Joshua's words are a reflection of a traditional way of thinking and of how people in his time made meaning of life. It's a reflection on the culture, not of God. So we zoom out. We focus on the totality of Scripture, and we see a reoccurring theme of God's grace showing up again, again, and again. God's remaining steadfast in relationship and in love and the children of God pulling away, making choices that step them further away from the pursuing pillar of love that God is. God reaches, Israel pulls away. Israel turns back and God closes the distance. Israel pulls away, God reaches, it's the story of the Old Testament over and over again of God's grace continually showing up for God's people. So maybe Joshua's response, the point of his response, is um, to haste, Israel's hasty and enthusiastic yes is not about God, but about who we are as God's people. Maybe this moment of pause for us is for us to really consider what it might mean to be in a deep covenantal relationship with the creator, the redeemer, and sustainer of everything, not just on the mountaintop, but when we are low as well. What does it actually mean to maintain that relationship when you're in the thick of life? when you are too busy to take time to be alone with God? What does it look like to uh, trust God with everything that you have, even when it does not feel that God is present with you in that moment? What does it look like to hold on to what is good, even when the world around us seems to be in utter despair? When we are in the valley, what does it mean to be committed to a life of faith, committed to a God who loves us first? Just like any relationship, our relationship with God takes effort. When God makes a promise, we believe that God always keeps those promises. 
God is showing up for us. But part of committing to be in a relationship, any relationship, is committing to show up as well, to do our part to stay connected, to reach out, to meet the other person where they are. So in the darkest valleys, what does it look like to remain connected to God? Joshua gave God's people space to pause and to consider the depth of this commitment, the magnitude of their promise. It gave them the opportunity to recommit their life and the lives of their households to showing up, to meeting God's outstretched arms in both those high moments and in those low moments. I don't know what it looks like for you to maintain that deep relationship because it looks different for each and every one of us based on where we are on, on, on our own faith journeys and our own lives. You know that I chase around two small children. There is not a moment where there is enough quiet for me to be still and to rest. And when I do, I go to sleep. So what looks like to remain in deep, committed relationship with God is going to look vastly different from what it might look like for you. But part of the idea of recommitting a life to faith is committing to figure that out, trusting and resting on the promises that God has already given to us. In the life of the church, there are opportunities again and again in worship that we can recommit our lives to faith. We do it when there are people who are joining the church where we recommit ourselves to the faith as we are joining them and their vows. Same thing happens when someone gets baptized. But what you might not know is that there is an entire service that is dedicated to this opportunity to spend time with God and to recommit ourselves to the life of faith. It looks very similar to uh, joining the church or baptism, but it leaves a lot more space for us to be in silent prayer. So tonight, we are going to do this together. And if you feel like you would like to recommit your faith, I invite you to respond aloud with us. And then we're going to take some time to have communion and during communion, I will stand over here with a bowl of water. And if you would like to remember your baptism or have a moment of prayer with me, I would love to have that moment with you and to uh, uh, come alongside you as you recommit your life to Christ, to this faith that we are on the journey of together. So I invite you to participate if you feel led as we go through together the vows that many of us, some of us have said more recently and others maybe a long time ago. So the response to these questions is, I do. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness 
reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, races, and abilities? If so, please say, I will. Do. I do. <laughs> See, we all do this together. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Please say, I will. So friends, as, as we go to the table, as we enter into this moment of prayer, I invite you to experience this however you need to. Come forward for communion or stay in your seat. Come forward and kneel at the, uh, the kneeling benches and pray. Or come see me as I offer some water upon your head. Let's go and lean into the spirit. Lean into this invitation. <laughs>